studied the form of comics sometimes. What you need is a hobby. Words and pictures, it could be more of an art form. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't know, it's pretty goddamn weird. A guy dresses up like a devil, he's a blind lawyer, you know? We have to do Aquaman. No one with a lick of sense would watch that show. The word fan actually is a, an abbreviated form of fanatic. And there are some people who fit that category. I believe comics are a last link to an ancient way of passing on history. You can put on a uniform for football, Year-round, nobody cares. Basketball, year-round, nobody cares. Put on a Star Trek uniform, people get a case of the giggles. Yeah, hi, somebody told me they make comic books here. That's from Superman? Smallville. You have been trying that Jedi mind shit on me since the eighth grade. It doesn't work. Oh, it works. You guys must read too many comic books or something. People do not masturbate in the DC universe. That was the biggest load of crap I've ever heard. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and I've been working my way through an extremely intensive Batman mega series lately. And I would think the reason for that is relatively obvious, but just in case it's not, there's a Batman movie coming out pretty soon, as you may have heard. And it, I guess the release of it, seems to have coincided with my embarking upon a fairly intensive Batman reading project. I've been reading a shitload of Batman comics lately, and so I felt like talking about a shitload of Batman comics. And so, pretty much, that's what I've been doing quite a bit lately. And indeed, that's what I'm going to be doing again today. And if you look at the history of, <clears throat> of my show, especially lately, you know, notwithstanding the fact that it's all it's been all about Batman primarily what I've talked about is what I would what I would consider to be in a general sense kind of my Batman you know sort of the Batman of my youth you know the one that I grew up reading now yes there have been some exceptions to that here and there but for the most part you know what I've primarily focused my attention on and what I will be primarily focusing my attention on is Batman as he was in comics when I was a kid and was huge into Batman, you know? And what I thought might be kind of fun to do would be to, you know what, just take a look back, you know? What has Batman been like in, in previous decades? And maybe talk about one or two of those stories, you know? So I thought that could be kind of fun. And so it is that today I'm going to be talking about Batman number 169. Specifically, this is a story entitled Partners in Plunder. And the first time I I ever read this story, it was actually as a reprint in The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 2, released in 1992. And 
the shtick of it is that this was really, as much as anything, supposed to be a tie-in for, at the time, the soon-pending release of Batman Returns in theaters. And as such, it, this volume basically set out to include the very best Penguin and the very best Catwoman stories that had been printed up to that time. You know, and I've always thought it was sort of telling that the Joker could have a Greatest Stories Ever volume to himself. Whereas Penguin and Catwoman, they, they needed to share a volume between each other. And what I've always taken from that is there are just not a whole lot of stories deserving of Greatest Ever when it comes to the Penguin and, and Catwoman. But at least they have something, you know. In any case, so partners in plunder, right? This is uh, this was this was originally published. At least the cover date originally was February of 1965, and so this is actually a pre-Adam West Batman story. But you might not think so, just by I don't know the the discussion that I'm going to have about this story, and God knows the plot synopsis. So anyway. All of that is a long way of saying that today's comic is going to be Batman number 169. Cover date, like I say, is February 1965. Penciler is Sheldon Maldoff. Inker is Joe Giella. Writer is Ed Heron. Letterer is Gaspar Saladino. Editor is Julia Schwartz. Story title, again, Partners and Plunder. Story synopsis is as follows. Ensconced in his hideout, the Penguin is stewing over his inability to think up new crimes, that are at least crimes that are worthy of his talents. The Penguin wants something sensational and unexpected, but he just can't think up anything too interesting. And then he has a brilliant idea. He'll let Batman plan his crimes for him. The Penguin eventually jury-rigs an umbrella prank to get Batman's attention. Batman ventures a guess as to what the Penguin's plan is. Even though the Penguin himself doesn't know what his plan is yet, but he knows, but at least he knows now because he can hear everything Batman's saying thanks to a secret, handy-dandy microphone built into the gimmicked umbrella. Based on the color of the umbrellas, Batman takes a guess that the Penguin must be planning to steal a rare meteorite which is covered in jewels and shit, which... Sounds as good as anything else to the Penguin, so he decides to steal it. The Penguin and his thug, uh, thugs descend upon the museum, exactly like Batman figured they would, and steal the meteorite. Escaping Batman actually seems pretty easy be because the Penguin was able to rig a trap for Batman and Robin by magnetizing them to a wall using their utility belts as the anchor. But... The Penguin didn't completely think things out because Batman and Robin do indeed manage to escape and then capture the Penguin. The Penguin's finally locked up in jail and the stolen loot is recovered. The end. So, what did I think? Well, when I was a kid, um, as I, I think I've mentioned this really at this point several times, but when I was a kid, getting to my LCS was an incredible pain in the neck. And the reason for that is because, at least as it was in 1992, I was 11 years old, guys, and didn't have a car, didn't have a job, didn't have, I mean, I got like allowances and, and I, I would get uh, money for chores and stuff like that. But, you know, for the most part, you know, the idea of, the idea of being able to get 
to the LCS every single week, guys, that's that's science fiction, okay? That was never going to happen. And yet, when I could go, I don't know, like, what would happen. You know, like, did my... Was it possible that my dad maybe felt guilty for not taking me to the LCS all that often? I don't really know. All I know is that it would tend to be kind of like a binge, you know? And what I'd end up doing is when I would get there, you know, my old man would basically... He would, it's like he would go way out of his way to make sure that I got a ton of stuff. So no, I only, I mean, like if records be checked, I probably only went up there a couple of times per year, but I still managed to get a good chunk of the stuff that was coming out. Now, in fairness, I didn't necessarily need to go to the LCS in order to get stuff like Detective, like the new issue of Detective Comics or the new issue of Amazing Spider-Man or or something like that. Didn't necessarily need to go to the LCS for that. <clears throat> but trade paperbacks and compilations and stuff like that, those weren't sold in gas stations. And so pretty much, unless I found myself in a bona fide like, bookstore, or apart from that, if I were to somehow be able to make it to the LCS, I might not be able to get these... Uh, compilations and hardcovers and these graphic novels and these trade paperbacks and stuff, I might not be able to get that stuff, or at least not right away. And so color me surprised when I managed to get my hands on The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 2, with, like, su like not very long after it was first released and with surprisingly little effort. I didn't even ask for this. You know, basically, my dad and I, we went to the LCS together. He instantly grabbed it off the shelf and ever since then it's just it's been you know part of my collection you know and it needs to be said that the greatest batman stories ever told volume two while it was definitely welcome it wasn't exactly the eye-opening experience for me that the greatest batman stories volume one had been and the reason for that is because the Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 1, it basically started reprinting comics from 1939, going right on through to what was, like up to that time, um, the modern day, basically cutting through the glorious ice cream of Batman's publication history. You know, you got a little bit from the 30s, a little bit from the 40s, the 50s, 60s, 70s, you know, etc. And there is such a dynamic range of material. You know, it's just incredibly varied, you know, and the shock and awe of that isn't really a repeatable experience, or at least it wasn't for me. And so I was very well aware of the fact that Batman in comics has never been just one thing, you know? The 1930s uh, saw Batman as, and I guess to a degree the 40s, saw Batman as a sort of, urban commando type. The 1950s, he was the science fiction adventurer. In the 1960s, he was Gotham City's most famous citizen, you know, wandering around the streets in broad daylight and waving to his fellow Gothamites and all of that stuff. The 1970s, obviously, he returned a little bit more to form. And then in the 1980s, he was just sort of all over the map. Sometimes, you know, it was very very Bronze Agey, or even Bronze Age light, whereas other stories in the 80s were fucking Frank Miller. And so it was just all over the map. And so my point in saying all of this is, you know, I was very well aware of the fact that Batman had never even been one thing, even 
within the same decade. I mean, if you just read the Batman comics that were published in the 1960s, that is in, incredibly varied, you know, incredibly varied. And so, like I say, he's never been just one thing. And the realization of that isn't really a repeatable phenomenon. So coming into The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 2, like I say, I was keenly aware of the fact that Batman was a very dynamic character and he had a very varied history. You know, he was never just one thing. And so another thing I discovered is that The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 1, pretty well lived up to its name and stories that didn't feature the joker didn't feature the penguin didn't feature catwoman it's not to say that ipso facto those stories sucked it's just that finding truly great transcendent ones that didn't feature one of those three characters isn't very easy to do you know yes they're around but not very easy to do and so that was just one of those things that I had to get comfortable with. Now, in 1992, at the time that I picked up The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 2, I was, I do believe the technical term is chomping at the bit for Batman Returns to come out in theaters. I was fucking stoked about that movie. Couldn't wait to see it. And very much looking forward to it. But because of the fact that I knew, like I say, that Batman had a very varied history, and he'd never been just one thing. I was also fond of the Adam West TV show. And reading this story, obviously this this story, Partners and Plunder, has a lot more in common with Adam West than it does Tim Burton. And I was fine with that. You know, I liked the idea of, you know, uh, of Batman in a more kind of Bill Dozier-ish, Dozier I should say, uh, type of milieu. You know, I liked the idea of that, you know. Because at least in in my mind, what I liked was the idea of all of these all all of these bat bat men, you know, the one from the thirties, the one from the sixties, the one from the seventies, the one in in Tim Burton's movies. What I liked was sort of those characters existing in parallel with one another, sort of in alternate universes, where it's like the universe needs there to be a Batman, but the universe can't even decide for itself who and what Batman really is. And so, I don't know why, but for some reason, the idea of Adam West and Michael Keaton and, I don't know, Dick Sprang and Frank Miller and all of these other guys, they're all making a uh, a Batman that, it's not the same guy. You know, these are different Batman of different alternate universes, but they're all somehow equally Batman, you know? And that was just, I wouldn't go so far as to say my headcanon, but that was kind of the way that I rationalized all of this stuff, especially with the comics when I was a kid. And I was less familiar with the way that comics worked back then than I am now. You know, the idea of continuity and, you know, pre-crisis, post-crisis, what exactly does all of this stuff mean? And so that was basically not really knowing any of that stuff. This, that was basically my way of sort of processing all of this. All of this is a long way into introducing, I guess, what I took from this story, is that, guys, this is truly worthy of being called one of the great Batman stories ever told, primarily because of one or two scenes in this story that really give this this story its its cred. Does that make sense? That's ba There are basically two or three elements of this story that really take it to the next level, you know? And uh, when we get there, I'll mention them. But... 
when I was a kid reading this, I thought, holy shit, Penguin has got to be the smartest character, the smartest villain in Batman's entire rogues gallery. And like I say, we'll come back to it. You know, I'll talk about it when when we get there in the story. But for right now, you know, the cover of of this of this issue, and I mean like the proper cover, the one that's actually on Batman number 169, it's pretty good. But I always kind of liked this <clears throat> this uh, splash page introduction inside the comic better. Maybe that's just because, you know, it was years before I ever saw the real cover for Batman number 169. And so, to me, this, I guess this introductory splash page, this is the real cover for Batman number 169, at least in my imagination. And it's basically the Penguin and some of his, uh, of his henchmen. Uh, they're using umbrellas as parachutes to glide down to the ground while their secret invisible magnet thingy is dragging Batman and Robin across a rooftop to clear the way for Penguin and his henchmen to do whatever robbery they have in mind. And, <clears throat> you know, right from the start, I mean, I just like the idea of that. And the idea that maybe that the Penguin uses technology or he uses psychology or he uses tactics or strategy you know he basically has something in mind he's not relying on brute strength to win against batman i mean this is one of those moments when you see an illustration or some kind of a visual that really sums up what a character is all about and to me the penguin and i and i speak here of the pre chuck dixon revised penguin before he became this sort of crime boss <clears throat> The idea of a penguin who actively goes out and commits crimes. This is a guy that basically, he believes in succeeding by whatever means are necessary, you know? And so, you know, yeah, he likes to go out there and commit bird crimes, but he doesn't necessarily have, I guess apart from that, he doesn't really have like a conventional MO, you know? There's not a, there's really not a single profile that the penguin fits into. If he needs technology to, to commit crimes, he'll use technology. You know, or if he needs a, um, like to call in like a phony bomb threat, then he'll call in a phony bomb threat, you know, or just fucking whatever it is, whatever it takes to get the job done. That's what the penguin's going to do, you know? And I didn't really grasp that about the penguin until I flipped to this page in the greatest Batman stories ever told volume two, which for those of you who are interested, this is on page 75 of the greatest Batman stories ever, uh, ever told volume two which is this introductory splash that I keep going on about here. This is the moment when the Penguin, as he was at that time, I finally got him, you know? And, uh, you know, understood exactly what it is that he's all about. So there's a lot to be said sometimes for finding the right visual at the right time to understand a character. And I think that's what happened in the Penguin's case here on page 75 of The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 2. So moving right along, getting into the story... We basically see the penguin. You got to figure he's done this a thousand times, you know. He's hanging around his hideout, shooting the bull with his with his minions, and he's trying to figure out what would be a good crime to commit. And not even from the angle of, you know, should I just go down to the liquor store and rip that place off? You know, he's got to find something that is worthy of him, you know? Because m more than a lot of villains and in Batman's rogues gallery, the Penguin has a very special kind of vanity. He takes pride in his work in a way that perhaps the Joker wouldn't or the Riddler wouldn't. Penguin's identity is trapped, uh, is, is sort of, it's tied up in 
exactly how not how not just how well executed a crime is committed, but how elegant is this crime? You know, how clever is it? You know, how daring and spectacular is it? You know, that's the stuff that really gets the penguins, uh, penguins jets going, you know, um, basically, is he going to increase his own celebrity in some way or, an, or his own infamy for that matter in this particular crime? You know, whereas the Joker is looking for the perfect joke or the Riddler wants to outsmart Batman, whatever form that takes, you know, just so on and so on. You know, every single one of these villains has their own unique psychological profile. And so I don't know if I could necessarily see the Joker agonizing over just the perfect crime to pull to increase his celebrity, but he would agonize over the perfect crime to pull that would be, at least in his estimation, funny, you know? And that's the key difference between these two characters. And so that's what we see the Penguin stewing through here, you know? He's looking for something that's that's going to be just sensational enough, just unexpected enough, you know, because of the fact that his ego is on the line here, you know, and this is just very insightful writing, you know. I don't think that the Silver Age of Comics was necessarily famous for, um, at least from DC's standpoint, I don't think the Silver Age of Comics was necessarily famous for characterization, but every now and then they throw a little bit of character your way where you'd get a little bit of an insight into who these characters are and what makes them tick. And this is a good example of what I'm talking about. You know, all this whole sequence on page one, his entire thought process, where the what ultimately gives him his insight is picking up an umbrella, and that's what unlocks the puzzle for him. There's something about holding an umbrella that gets the Penguin's imagination working, you know? And again, I just like the idea of that. You know, so now is a good time for me to say that I probably should have checked on this before starting uh, recording, but, well, whatever, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Elements of this story ended up getting adapted into the Bill Dozier uh, Batman TV show because this is such a Bill Dozer-esque type of story to begin with. You know, I wouldn't be at all surprised to find out that this story, and perhaps some that are kind of similar to it, really did help set the tone for what the Batman TV show was going to be all about, you know? And I like the idea that Bill Dozier didn't necessarily take every single one of his ideas from the comics, but he wasn't afraid to look to the comics for inspiration. And so at the bottom of page two, if this looks a little bit familiar to those of you who are familiar with the the Bill Dozier TV show, you basically have these people that are giving away umbrellas uh, outside of a store before it does its grand opening. And so all of these customers uh, storm into the store uh, carrying, as it turns out, gimmicked umbrellas that get set off simultaneously with one another. And that's really what what gives the foundation for Batman's involvement in this story. So basically what the Penguin wanted to do was not necessarily commit some kind of a crime. He basically wanted to get Batman's attention. That's really phase one of his plan, is getting Batman's attention, you know? Get him thinking about the Penguin. Get a, get his mind involved and engaged in what the Penguin might uh, might be up to here, you know? So, sure enough, at the bottom of uh, page three, Commissioner Gordon calls Batman and Robin into the case, 
and they start getting reports of these fucked up gimmicked umbrellas going haywire all over the city. And so what the hell's going on here? And actually, before we even get into that, um, at the top of page four, the second panel, we get a little bit of a glimpse of the Batmobile that Batman was using at this time. This is before that that uh, TV show Batmobile sort of developed some kind of weird fucked up hegemony over the over the depictions of the Batmobile in comics. And so this is a very 60s looking roadster looking type of uh, car that Batman is driving around in. And by virtue of the fact that it's the 60s and it's the Silver Age, of course, it's it's a convertible, you know, it just, in fact, it, it just doesn't even, it doesn't look like it has any cover to it whatsoever. Like it just doesn't even have fixtures to put up a, 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 a temporary cover over the top of the car. So I don't know, you could get away with stuff like that back in the, back in the silver age, I guess. So anyway, all of these umbrellas are going haywire all over town. And so we see Batman and Robin, they swing by a bank and they, uh, basically uh, shut down these umbrellas that are that are going haywire there. And they realize, you know what, this would be the perfect distraction for a bank robbery. But there's no bank robbery. That jewelry store where the other umbrellas went, went uh, crazy, that would have been the perfect cover for a robbery there. But there was no robbery there. We know that the penguin is behind this, but it doesn't look like he's actually interested in, in following through and committing any kind of burglary, so the fuck is going on? Well, there's no easy way to answer that, and so they decide, you know what, son of a bitch, it's time to pay him a visit. And they are on their way to do that very thing when this giant fucking umbrella lands in the middle of downtown Gotham City. And, again, this was something that was seen in the TV show. So if this sounds familiar, well, that might actually be why... So the peng- uh, Batman and Robin decide, you know what, fuck this. It's time to uh, talk to the Penguin and figure out just what is going on here. And then on page seven, this is... I didn't really talk too much about it to, to begin with because I already covered it in the, uh, the plot synopsis. But this is the second thing that makes this story so cool, in my opinion. And it's right here, page seven. Batman and Robin storm into the Penguin's umbrella shop... And the page before, the Penguin decided that he was going to switch his monocle around. Instead of wearing it over his right eye, he was going to wear it over his left eye. You know, so here you, Batman and Robin, they they storm into the Penguin's umbrella shop. They hurl all these accusations. And, you know, the Penguin accurately says, you know, I've heard reports about, you know, those umbrellas going wild on the radio, but... What happens to my umbrellas after they leave my shop is not my concern. So I don't think you have any evidence against me. And Batman and Robin realize that he's right. It's not like the guy's incriminated himself. So they decide, fuck it, hit the road. And then at the bottom of page seven, Robin questions this. He says, what about his monocle? He always wore it in his right eye, but now it's in his left. And getting into page eight, one of the Penguin's thugs asks the very same question. He says, tell me, boss, why did you move your monocle to the other eye? And the penguin says, just strategy, Herbie. It's a little something else that'll keep Batman guessing. Keep him worried. 
That's the only reason I did it. So guys, the Penguin straight trolled Batman. First off, what he did was he got Batman to, like I was saying in the um, in the plot synopsis, but which comes out a little bit more on page nine. He let Batman pick the Penguin's crime for him. So first, you know, he sets all of these umbrellas going crazy, just sets them off in the city so that Batman will wonder what the hell the Penguin's going, uh, what exactly the Penguin has planned, but he has nothing planned. When Batman goes to his shop saying, uh, you know, what the hell do you have planned? Penguin trolls him by uh, wearing his monocle in the other eye. And then here, getting into pages eight and nine, uh, he basically gives Batman a bunch of bullshit in the form of a phony baloney clue with his multicolored uh, umbrella. And Batman says, yes, Robin, the only possible target for the Penguin must be this rare meteorite. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Penguin hadn't even thought about that. You know, he none of that had occurred to him. But he's able to figure out what Batman suspects him of based on a, a, a microphone that he has hidden in one of these uh, gimmicked umbrellas. And that's how... The penguin picks picks out his crime, you know? He he basically trolls Batman with all of these, you know, fucked up umbrellas that are going on. He trolls Batman by switching his monocle around. And now he's trolling Batman by letting the Batman pick his crime out for him. Alright? And this is this this is amazing. You know, now the to kind of move along with the story, there is a sort of a logical problem with all of this, but in short, what Batman does is plan the Penguin's entire crime out for him, you know? And sure enough, things basically, when we start getting into page 11 and then going forward from there, you know, things pretty well do start, basically, it, everything goes according to plan. You know, the Penguin is able to, after he subdues Batman and Robin, you know, uh, he he's able to steal the the meteorite exactly as as Batman described it for him, you know? And... You know, Batman and Robin, they managed to escape from the trap that the Penguin set for him. Although there is a little bit of a weird problem at the bottom of page 12, where in uh, panel 4, we can see that Batman and Robin are stuck to the wall using their utility belts. And then they take their utility belts off. You can see them that they're still stuck to the wall, but then in that same panel... They're wearing their utility belts, and then in the panels to come, they're still wearing their utility belts, so what the fuck? So anyway, what? I mean, do they have new utility belts hidden inside their utility belts? I mean, what the fuck? So, I don't know. Anyway, so the Penguin tries making his getaway, and it doesn't take too long. Robin captures him, and Batman and Robin drop his ass off back in jail. But, guys, what you need to understand is that the penguin come up, he came up with a fundamentally good idea here you know let batman pick out the crime let batman pick out my my method of access let batman you know basically let batman do all the heavy lifting with planning this thing and then i'll just find a way to subdue batman and do the robbery exactly as he as he recommended easy peasy you know and there are some Obviously, there are some kinks with all of that. There are some problems with that plan. Things that need to get refined and perfected in, but you know, before the penguin tries this again in the future. But the bottom line is, guys, he has a fundamentally good idea here. Now, if it was me, what I would have done is let Batman decide. Yeah, the penguin he must be decide he must be planning a 
a robbery at the museum. He's going to steal this rare meteorite. Come, Robin, to Gotham City First National Bank. We haven't one moment to lose. And then do something else. You know, while Batman's on stakeout at at the museum, maybe... Well, actually, I just said First National Bank, so fine. While Batman's um, doing a stakeout at, at uh, Gotham City First National Bank, maybe you rob uh, an entire uh, chain of jewelry stores, you know? Or, uh, I don't know, uh, steal an armored truck, rob a bank, you know, uh, or, or, or something. Just do the do something else other than what Batman is ex- is expecting you to do. Or, if you have to do the crime exactly as Batman thinks you will, well, sure, rob the museum. But maybe you tunnel in from underground instead of coming in from the roof, you know? Basically, go a different direction. You know, uh, introduce some new unexpected element. And because basically what what the Penguin does in the story is he gives Batman a bunch of bullshit and lets Batman figure everything out. So let Batman be 99% right. It's that crucial 1% where the Batman is wrong because you intentionally diverged from his little plan, you know? And you basically throw something unexpected at him, you know? Shit, Robin. I thought for sure that the penguin was going to rob the museum. Why did he decide to rob that bank? It doesn't make sense, you know? And I think you could have kept Batman guessing on that. Maybe not indefinitely, but certainly long enough to make him look like a rube, you know? I think that that has a lot of disco potential to it. So, anyway, I don't know. It's, uh, this is a great story. Really enjoyed it. And like I say, I mean, sometimes you read a story that it perfectly helps you understand a a character that you maybe before you didn't understand you know i didn't really get the penguin until i read this story and then i realized he's the guy that basically succeeds by any means necessary you know whatever it takes that's what he's gonna do you know he doesn't have a fixed mo whereas maybe two-face does the joker does the riddler does the penguin doesn't because ultimately it's all about his ego you know it's not about mental psychosis in the case of the, of uh, Two-Face. It's not about um, the perfect joke the way that it is with the Joker. It's not about a uh, battle of wits the way that it is with the Riddler. For the Penguin, it's all about the fame. It's all about the celebrity. It's all about uh, will people think that he's got more panache than the Batman, you know? And so because of that, he's not going to have a fixed MO. He's going to do whatever it takes to succeed. And the realization of that is, I don't know, it's worth its weight in gold, you know, especially since it was hard for me to take the Penguin seriously as a character up to this point, and then after this, I realized, you know, this character has so much potential, you know, this is potential that I'd never really seen before, and it's all, it all comes back to this story, you know, so, anyway, very highly recommend this story, and as it happens, I very highly recommend the, the entire volume, uh, The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, Volume 2. I recommend this entire volume. You know, not every single story in this volume is necessarily amazing. You know, there are a couple of stories in here. There's one that came from the Legends crossover from 1986 that, you know, irrespective of how good the story is or isn't, the art is just shit. But when you move away from stuff like that, you know, a lot of these stories are at least worth reading. Some of these are, in in my opinion, just great, point blank. And so, overall, this is definitely worth checking out. So, very highly recommended, guys. 
take a look at partners and plunder in general and also I would say the greatest Batman stories ever told volume 2 this is just a really fun volume a, a, a really good cross-section of material you know it's a little bit old at this point but you know the it still has a wide variety of stories and I I think it's definitely worth picking up and that I think is pretty much it for me in this segment so what I'm gonna do is take a break and then I'll be right back after these messages to talk about some listener feedback stay tuned <laughs> 